Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Panic. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executive in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. Everybody, we don't have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, the Athletic NBA Show, coming to you live from inside the NBA bubble. As always, Sam Amick, NBA national writer. This, for me, is my first pod out of quarantine. I was a pent-up man, ready to get out. Might have pulled the JBL speaker out when I finally was free and rocked some music incredibly (laughs) loudly and rudely. Didn't care what the neighbors thought. Didn't care what anybody thought. It was only about 20 minutes. But what were you blasting, though? What did we do? Oh, you know what? I think this is... Now you're taking me down a somber road. I think I threw on the Black Panther album. Oh, because, there you go. Yeah. So I think that was the move. Um, but, gentlemen, we are here with the esteemed Jay King, Celtics beat writer at The Athletic, Eric Name, Bucks beat writer, talking hoop, talking... You know, craziness in Orlando. Um, thank you for coming on, boys. Good to see you. We got the Zoom action going. How are you? You guys are just as ugly as I remember, man. <laughs> Somehow you're uglier. Faces yeah, I mean, for radio fair. right here. Faces for radio. Uh, this is going to be a show where there's just so much to talk about that, that it's going to be three dudes, you know, just kind of just bullshitting about a lot that's happened in this league. My mentality, guys, in addition to wanting, you know, always loving connecting with both of you who I respect and enjoy, was that we got Eric here who covers the Bucks team that, you know, that, that really pushed the first domino down in this entire historic NBA week and chose not to play against Orlando. Uh, Eric, it, it, we all know it's not easy to cover this stuff when you're not here you did a uh you always do a great job but your piece the other day looking at george hill who whose choice and you know his uh mentality was a real catalyst here was well done um and then you know we'll pivot later in the pod and and have jay break down uh the celtics and what they're doing and and so the basketball continues but eric let's start with you we were just talking offline uh give me the latest on the situation because the bucks pushed really hard for change other teams followed and, and we saw some some very specific requests when it comes to their hope to get uh, legislative change in Wisconsin regarding the shooting of Jacob Blake. We all know kind of how this began, uh, but but you got a little bit of an update here. What do you got? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I've really updated myself on legislative procedure in the state of Wisconsin in the last couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, so the Bucks ultimately kind of behind George Hill decide that they're not going to walk out for game five on Wednesday. They 
essentially shut the whole league down. They sit in their locker room for three and a half hours. And while they're doing that, they're using their connections in the state of Wisconsin. Social justice has been a big thing that they've been working for. I mean, in December, they played a basketball game uh, in the Racine Correctional Facility, which is about 35 minutes away from Milwaukee. And the governor played in the game. The lieutenant governor played in the game. And those were some of the first calls that, you know, they put out from inside that locker room was, you know, let's try to talk to those people and see kind of what we can do. And essentially they were told, hey, the Wisconsin state legislature has not passed a bill in over 130 days. So for four months in the middle of a pandemic, they have not passed a bill. They have not done things to help out small businesses, anything like that. So essentially they were learning about all of this and that led to a very specific demand in their statement. So they walk out of that locker room after three and a half hours of everyone watching this gray metal door and trying to figure out what these dudes are doing in there. They come out and talk about how they want justice for Jacob Blake, but also they want the Wisconsin state legislature to get together and meet and to actually start to work on police reform and a special legislative, a special legislative session is called uh, and they're ready to go here on Monday. We're recording that here on Monday afternoon. And essentially one of the things that the Republican led government has done in the state legislature is they will gavel in, which starts a special session and then They'll wait 30 seconds and then they'll gavel out. So there'll be no debate. There'll be no bills discussed. There will be none of that. They'll literally just do the absolute bare minimum of starting a session, ending a session, and then getting right back out. Uh, and over the weekend, we heard multiple Bucks players. We heard Chris Middleton talk about the gavel in, gavel out technique. We heard Brooke Lopez talk about the gavel in, gavel out technique. So I think it was a real possibility that the Bucks thought that this this was what was going to happen on Monday and around. So just to, just to do the cliff notes thing, like they didn't do a damn thing. They didn't, there was no follow through. That is correct. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. So they, they haven't done anything. And so now I'm in a spot where I'm really curious to see what happens as, you know, they walk in for game one. We've seen a bunch of team. uh, We've seen a bunch of WNBA teams do like the whole team t-shirt thing where, you know, you try to send a message that way. Uh, The Bucks on Saturday before game five against the Magic had Wesley Matthews talk, which is something, as we all know, you don't do pregame. You don't have a player do a media session and and he goes for 25 minutes and talks then. So uh, I'm really curious to see. Maybe it'll just be Bud making a statement, but this is something that they were really worried about. They were concerned that they would help get some action and then the action would essentially be, nah, we're not doing anything. And that's exactly what happened. And well, you know, by the time the pod comes out, folks are going to see what they they did, so that you know, we'll let that uh, that part kind of go. But Jay, you know, I think about Jalen Brown, who you know, for your group, uh, is is the most vocal, seemingly most influential in terms of I mean, they, all these guys are. But um, how has all this stuff hit you uh, as you've continued trying to to balance the basketball and and the life and this story that's pretty wild? I mean, Jalen has definitely been the most impactful, the most outspoken. And he's been like that for years. This isn't something that's that's new to him. It's it's a fight he's been fighting for a long time. He's he's gone and given chats at Harvard about the need for education reform. So these causes are are very dear to him. I think he's grown more and more comfortable speaking out 
about specific issues and just seeing him kind of step into his voice has been really kind of inspiring. Um, and like, like the other day they, they come back after the protest and obviously the players got some concessions from the owners before they agreed to come back. And Jalen was basically like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not enough. I don't really trust that these owners, I don't have the confidence I want to, that these owners will support us considering that some of them are, uh, have gone against the the issues that we're fighting for in the past, whether it's by donating to specific um, politicians or, or what. And then he, he said, on top of that, I don't think it should just be the arenas that are owned by teams that are used as voting sites, but the arenas that every arena should should be used. We shouldn't let these owners off the hook just because they don't own the arena. They they should pull the, use their influence to, to get that done as well. And so Jalen has been really at at the front of this, and he, he's been day after day fighting for, for justice. And I, I think it's really sad that the players feel such an urge urgency to do it themselves because nobody else is. And and that that part really strikes me as like just really really heartbreaking and sad that basketball players have decided that that if they don't do this nobody will. And yeah, I mean, last uh, night it does. I mean, last night Jamal Murray, you know, incredible speech or, or, or TV appearance, you know, with Jared Greenberg on TNT. It's funny. I was at that game and I'm there in person and I look out on the floor and I see Jared talking to Jamal and and, and Jamal is is bent over. And it's wild, man, because being here now and, and having the disconnect to what's happening on TV is tricky because I'm, I'm looking and he just looks tired. You know what I mean? I had no clue that there was an, a pretty profound moment happening right there. Um, and, and I'm going to pivot with, with that as Bill Orham texts me and distracts me during the freaking pod. <laughs> Lakers beat writer. Um, I just got back. This is perfect. From Lakers practice. And you now inside and in, in here in the bubble, you are – feeling the transition from that to hoops. And so I go to Lakers practice, said hello to LeBron real quick, you know, and and you see him on FaceTime with his family. Uh, he was talking about, it, I mean, I don't want to get in his business. Sounds like he might be adding a beach house to the repertoire. Uh, you know, talking about pretty light stuff and having fun. The mood was, was pretty light, uh, and you feel the shift back to basketball. Jay, I went to uh, the Celtics game yesterday, and those dudes put on a clinic, uh, just wasn't even close. Toronto could do nothing in the first half. So let's get into the hoops a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time around that team. Enjoyed talking to Tatum and, and Marcus Smart afterwards uh, about the piece I wrote about Mike Zarin, their assistant GM, kind of super fanning during that game. But but what did you think of the tone they set in that series? Because the hoop is happening again, and, and, and those guys got after it yesterday. Yeah, I it's so funny because they're in the exact same situation they were last year where they swept in the first round an opponent that just wasn't good. They took game one against a a favorite opponent in a big way. And last year it just kind of felt like everything could still go up in flames this year. They're a very different team. And I I still think this is going to be a long series. I think Toronto is obviously awesome, especially their defense. But the Celtics are just in such a different place. You can just hear Brad Stevens when he talks about the team. He just really likes this group. He said today, 
he said this is just just a group that plays with good intentions and when brad that's like the <laughs> highest praise brad can give like like one of brad guys, stevens statement like yeah like oh, these guys crazy. are trying to do the right thing all the time they will make mistakes but they are trying and uh but there, I, I think I have been waiting for this series for years because they've been two of the best-run organizations in the Eastern Conference for a while. They've been two of the better teams in the Eastern Conference for a while, and they've just never met each other in the playoffs. And I think they're very similar teams in their versatility, the way they get after it defensively, the the ball pressure they put on teams. and So I've been looking forward to this series. I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. I don't think many games will be as lopsided as game one was. Do you think, and then Eric, you can jump in here too, but man, Siakam and what happened to him in that first quarter was something else. He goes one of five, three fouls. Marcus in particular, a couple times down on the block, uh, and, and we talked about this after the game, like he just, he he had that, you know, punch first mentality. He was incredibly aggressive, and Pascal had nothing, and, and he's been on a bad run lately. Um, our guys that cover the Raptors have written about that, but I mean, if that doesn't change soon, obviously that that's going to be the end of uh, of this, you know, title defense here for them. Yeah, and that's like – like they need Pascal Siakam to score. They don't have enough scoring to have Pascal Siakam throw a dud like that. And obviously Lowry, Van Vliet, they had their struggles too. If those three guys aren't doing it, then where does their offense come from? Like Norm Powell? So they need to change that. I, I thought Pascal actually 12, got some – I think. What's up? I said I think he was like 3 of 12, Norman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, Pascal, I, I thought he got like some decent post-up looks – um, but the, the, as the Toronto guys have noted, he's kind of missed some of those bunnies lately. So he's kind of been in a funk since they showed up in the bubble. He hasn't been very efficient. And the Celtics, like, they have some offensive holes further down in their rotation, but their top two guys in Tatum and Walker are going to be pretty consistent forces. And so if Toronto can't get the same from some of their top guys, then that's an issue. We'll be right back after this message. This is the Athletic Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing the Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to the Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as the Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. The uh, before we shift to a little little Bucks talk, the thing Jay we talked last night or no this morning about this offline, the Mike Zarin story I wrote, um, it, it was something else to see that in person. And that to was paint a fun the picture. story. It was fun, and and I mean here's the thing, you sit in these gyms and it is incredible how the energy is just so flat. Now it's not flat with the players, and it yeah. to, for, to the league's credit, and this is great for the league, it pops on TV. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, when I wasn't here and I was watching on TV, it's it, you almost forget there's no fans. Like it's good basketball. Guys are absolutely playing their asses off. In the gym, there is a huge, huge disconnect. I told someone last night from the NBA, I said, you know, I'll be doing work on my computer, and I got Game Six in front of me of Jazz Nuggets, and I get distracted, and I and it's like I just miss five minutes of game action as if it's summer league or something. Yeah. Like, because there's you know the people are in a different space mentally. But here comes Mike Zarin obviously lifelong Celtics season ticket holder you know Boston through and through has watched games with his dad for so long 
and Danny Ainge's right-hand man in that front office and a guy that for years and years and years now could have run his own team and has loved being with the Celtics. So Mike is is sitting uh, courtside, and you just don't typically see people clap. And he's clapping, he's going crazy, and it wouldn't stand out if it was, you know, if he was surrounded by fans, but he's the only one, and he's, you know, it was it was crazy, but you've seen that before, Jay. What'd you think of that? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, see, I I I couldn't see him. They don't they don't show him on the TV telecast. Right. Right. But he's, I mean, he is as big a Celtics fan as there is. He shows up to games in like one of those old like pullover jackets that like players used to wear in the seventies and eighties. You know, like just. He's an enormous fan, and sometimes when uh, when you're watching games on TV during normal times, he'll be sitting behind the bucket, cheering it l- louder than anyone. I mean, he is he he more than being a front office guy. He's been a lifelong Celtics fan, and so it, it's really cool to me that that he's able to to keep that fandom because there are a lot of people in our line of work who lose that fandom because because they work in the game and because well and he's gonna get you know this he's gonna get pissed at me for even bringing it up on the pod because he already tweeted today that (laughs) he doesn't want to be the story and i should mention he wasn't alone allison feaster who former WNBA player harvard grad who uh is the director of player development was there cheering with him and and her clap was far louder than zarin's but it was fun and now you're going after his clap too (laughs) (laughs) She was yelling. She would she would drop the mask a little bit, and she would yell. Now, Zarin did the only coaching. Legitimately got out of his chair at one point and was basically telling him to pick up at half court. And you know, <laughs> and then you talk to the players after the game, and it's and I had asked a couple of them like, "Do you hear him? Do you see him?" And I felt bad because they're all like, "No, like I didn't really know he was there." You know, because it's dark on that side. But it is such a, a weird, weird environment. Um, but no, I mean that stuff was fun, Eric. Let's get into your squad, man. We don't know what's going to happen in today's game, but um, they're, they can't look past the heat. This could be upset special time if they're not careful. You know, Miami is, has played incredibly well in this series, and I think their wiring and their championship pedigree in that organization is the kind of stuff that, honestly, the Bucks can't relate to. They don't have that in this in this generation. Um, you know, what's what's the pulse on that team right now? So it, it's been kind of weird to watch this team because – they didn't really take the bubble games all that serious. Like any of the restart games, they took the Celtics game very serious to open, uh, as Jay might be able to attest. But like after that, they played the Heat game pretty seriously, but they just, you know, had Giannis headbutt Mo Wagner. They had Giannis miss a game because of oral surgery. Like he was in and out of the rotation. They were trying to get Bledsoe back from a positive COVID-19 test. Same thing with Pat Connaughton. So some games it was like, these dudes are going to play 15 minutes. Next game, 25. So they just like never really got a rhythm. And then game one against the Magic, they looked awful. Like flat out awful. And it going into the series, it was something I had talked to Bud about a lot was so much of their defense is built around Eric Bledsoe and his aggressiveness. And... Markel Fultz is not someone that you play aggressively. He can't shoot the ball, so you play way under. And every time Eric Bledsoe gets that assignment, when he when he gets that instruction, like, hey, play off somebody, he just doesn't bring it. He just doesn't bring it. Like, the intensity isn't there. He, he can be a bit more lackadaisical. So they did that in game one, got smoked. And then in game two, oh, there's Eric Bledsoe picking up Markel Fultz 94 feet. Like, yep, okay, that's it. And they just flipped it right back to, 
all right, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to dictate the terms. And that's why they blew out the magic in all those games, uh, two through five. But it gets really interesting because everyone in the league understands what the Bucks do defensively. The Bucks are going to protect the rim. They're a historically great rim-protecting defense with Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, and Giannis. Like, you don't score at the rim. But the Heat don't care. Like, they don't care about scoring at the rim. That's not their thing. They, they, they really are not super concerned about that and still manage to have the seventh most efficient offense in the entire league. So they're going to be more than fine putting up a bunch of threes. The threes that the Bucks give up are above the break threes. They don't give up corner threes. Well, the Heat don't care about corner threes. They shoot more above the break threes than anybody else in this the league. This is good, Aaron. I like this. This is you're talking to yourself right now, aren't you? But like, but like, <laughs> it, it, it's literally just like every like you can see tactically yeah, that yeah, yeah. the the Heat and you could I I literally put in our series preview that I've been writing about it for six months. And because of the break, I got to write about this for six months. This was the matchup. Tactically, the Heat are going to give the Bucks fits. In the end, though, I think we're talking about something similar to the Celtics-Raptors series, where more often than not, in an NBA playoff series, the team with the best player wins. And in that Raptors series, I think you're struggling to figure out, all right, who is the Raptors' best player? Is it, is it Pascal Siakam? Is it Kyle Lowry? And can that dude outplay Jason Tatum? And uh, doesn't look great right now. In the Bucks Heat series, yes, the Heat have all of the role players that can make this really difficult on the Bucks. But can Jimmy Butler be better than Giannis? Seems like a stretch. Playoff Jimmy Butler is really good. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but ultimately that seems like a stretch. So I think you have this spot where this series is a clear tactical problem for the Bucks. This is a clear spot where you're going to be worried about an upset. But in the end, if Giannis is who everyone thinks Giannis is, if Giannis is the back-to-back MVP, and Giannis once again can outplay somebody in a playoff series, the Bucks should advance. So it's really everything from a basketball, tactical, strategic perspective says, whoa, this is going to be dangerous for the Bucks." And then you just kind of look at Giannis and you're like, oh, yeah, they got that guy. Like. Well, and they might still. I mean, they they just haven't found that level either. And and it's honestly the more conversations I've had with people once I got here, um, not just on the Bucks, but everybody is when when this whole thing is done, guys. I'm telling you, and when people start speaking more candidly about what actually happened in the bubble from a life standpoint and people's mood standpoint. I mean, I had someone tell me the other day, like, you know, the Bucks were going through some things, and those seeding games where they were just laying eggs left and right, like it had everything to do with just the mood in the room for their group and that it wasn't great. And that ripple effect, Paul George became the poster boy to kind of, to his credit, candidly talking about, you know, that element here. And and I'm sure that most of the fans are still not hearing it. They're probably still saying, oh, these millionaire whiners, you know, they got everything they need. You, you can you disagree if you want. It doesn't really matter. It's real. And there's never going to be a way to know exactly how it impacted the basketball, but it has, you know, and you got coaches that are looking at players that it's almost Space Jam style. Like what, what just happened to your talent here? Like it just got <laughs> zapped and, and the mental stuff is, is huge. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many people will care about this, but I feel like that's, that's the hardest part about covering a team from afar. Like when you're around a team every day, you know, when something's off, you know, right. when something's not right. Like, 
all you had to do to find that out about the Celtics last season was just walk <laughs> walk in the room. Yeah. And you knew instantly, like, this. there's something wrong with this team that goes beyond basketball. This team is I mean, you just... have that effect on everybody when you go into a room anyway, Jay. But yeah. <laughs> That is very true. But but now, like, if there's something wrong with the Bucks, nobody's in the locker room to realize what the feel is. And, yeah. and so now we're just guessing from what we see on the basketball court. And well, it's, like it's I, I went to Lakers today, and and I'm not I'm not a Lakers beat writer, but I go to Lakers today, and I'm you know here to tell you they look pretty good. You know what I mean? Like you just yeah. get to see the way again. LeBron's not talking about a beach house if he if he's heavy on the mind. Frank Vogel's not, and this was on the media session. Frank Vogel's not breaking down his favorite choice of pizza from a pizza party they had if he was still feeling the weight of the world. You know, what was they, his favorite? Yeah, it was very simple. Cheese and pepperoni. We were waiting for like some clever answer. Yeah, it was it was kind of weak. <laughs> I did I kind of I I really respected though, and that this is definitely a side trip. I Frank to sit there in front of the world and just be so comfortable to share that you not only like pizza, which we all love pizza, but he got real specific and he says in terms of his own diet. I mean, he's a coach. He doesn't got to get out there and play. He says, he goes, I, I need, I think he used the word need. I need pizza about once a week, and I haven't been getting it once a week. And I was like, all right, Frank, just <laughs> you do you. You know, this day and age of sports science and, and all this stuff, he's just repping pizza. My but, guy sounds like a beat writer. Yeah. Like, uh, what's open? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll get some pizza. Yeah, okay. Right. I know, 100%. Shit, so, I, I need mean, it but, more than once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, well, that's, I, I have a theory. So, I, and I'm curious, you, you have a better perspective around the league. Do you think the the bubble affected teams at the very tippy top more than it did the other teams? Because in my head, the elite teams, you mean? So, like, if you're if you're looking at the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers, Celtics, Raptors, those are teams that truly believe we're going to be there for three months. Like, oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so if you get into the first round, you're like, these games still don't mean anything. I've been here for a month and a half, and these games don't yeah. mean anything, and I got another month and a half left. Like, Do you think it affected them more than it did, let's say, teams five through whatever in both conferences? What you hear all the time is the obsession with work just because there's nothing else. And, yeah, there is stuff to do, and the league has tried hard to give recreational options in this stuff, but what you hear is that people do those things – and then they get tired of the Groundhog Day component, and then they eventually kind of retreat to their room. Doesn't mean they don't exercise and do this and that, but, you know, okay, now that fishing trip lost its novelty. Now golfing, you know, it's not kind of helping you on the mental side like it was before. Um, I, well, I remember talking to Joe Ingles of the Jazz a couple of weeks ago, early in the bubble experience, and I think it was his first seeding game. He had a bad game, and he talked about the fact that when he got back to his room, and he's used to going home and having his kids hung on him and his wife and just forgetting and not caring about that night's game. And he's like, man, I sat in my room and I just kept reliving every single play and it just wasn't fun. And I think those guys have learned how to adjust with that. But Eric, that makes sense. I mean, three months is a very long time. Like Again, another little bit of color from that Lakers practice. I talked to, to their GM, Rod Palenka, and he actually seemed to be in pretty good spirits. But he made the point that even seeing me and knowing that now there's some new media in the second wave that's coming in, he made a comment. He's like, listen, you guys, you're almost bringing in a new energy. He goes, that's kind of how it is. We look around like what is different, anything different they gravitate to because 
everybody drops Even the you? groundhog. I know. Come on, man. My, my charm, my radio face. <laughs> like it's just the Groundhog Day comparison is what you constantly hear. Um, it's boredom. I keep thinking about. There was this agent who I talked to before they decided on on Orlando, and I and they were still talking about Orlando versus Vegas. And I remember he made the point he wanted Vegas, and he's like, "Listen, you get bored in Vegas." You can go down and play some roulette. He's like, you get bored in Orlando, you're bored in Orlando. You know, <laughs> and it's not quite that simple, but that is real. And you know, I can't tell you enough about, and I'll keep talking about this, writing about it. But man, this this whole universe is so surreal, guys, because we cover these dudes all the time. We're used to seeing them. We're used to talking to them. I am not used to walking out of my room. I have seen Michael Malone on a bicycle three times today. Like this has happened three times today. The Nuggets coach is flying around. He went through. It was great. He was on a little path by this big lake, so that makes sense. And really, other than enjoying a bike ride, you can tell the reason that guys do this is because when it comes to the rules, it's one of the few things you can do where you're allowed to take your mask off. So honestly, I think that's the major incentive. So Michael's flying around. He he cut through this distribution center that. I don't know where the heck he was going, but uh, Nick Nurse I saw the other day flying by. Like you'll be sitting there on your phone and look up, and it's like, oh, Raptors coach, okay, what's up, Nick? How you doing? And I mean, it's it's crazy. We were, you know, last night having a glass of wine um, with a couple riders, and and you know, there, there's some areas where the players will be in the zone, and so everybody being in the same spot is crazy. Um, but they are all, you know, they're they're kind of going crazy and. We'll see how that impacts things going forward here. It, it sounds like summer league, but the players are good. It is. <laughs> like, no, it's like 10 times. It's just a different scale. Um, I do. Uh, it's funny. Tim Frank, uh, head PR man for the basketball side of, of NBA PR, had told me that I was quarantine was not fun. I'll get into that some other time. But I wasn't enjoying things so far. And he texted me and he says, you'll start feeling better when you get to the media seating at these games and he's right because that is the like trip back down memory lane we have not sat this close in a very long time i mean there's some arenas where you're 10 feet from the court and that part is incredible the game just absolutely jumps out at you in fact jay with your team uh, the the first guy that really got my attention in that regard was marcus smart watching uh, him i'm not surprised it's just i mean that first quarter and that you know, i've mentioned the play earlier but like when he was bodying Pascal in the block, Pascal, Marcus kind of pulled the chair out, and you remember the play, and Pascal falls backwards, and he basically just sits on Marcus's head. And you, I'm sitting right there, and you just see his head just bounce off the hardwood. <laughs> yeah. And he just gives it one of these, and he shakes his head, and he, and he gets up and he moves on. You have a new respect for them as competitors, them as athletes, and once you strip away the 20,000 fans and, and everything that comes with a regular NBA game. Live sports are back, and it's very possible that we may see an NBA playoff matchup between the Clippers and the Nuggets. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure that your Nuggets are as safe as possible when the matchup happens. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your snags will be reduced. They actually released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. 
The Shears 2.0 is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools and it includes a slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with new and improved lawnmower waterproof cordless body trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you when you're done quarantining. The Perfect Package 3.0 also comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant, and the Reviver is a spray-on toner made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code ATHLETIC20. Take your grooming game to the next level. You were at the the Nuggets Jazz game and Jamal Murray, beyond putting on the the most outrageous shot-making display I've seen in so long during this series... What what stood out to me about him is like every time he just looks so locked in and he's cussing cussing guys out, he's screaming. There that guy, he's a thirty four point six percent three point shooter this season. Sixty two percent. Don't tell him. I know, but yeah. but Sam, what was what was the experience like being in a, a mostly empty gym? Well, this guy puts on this display and then is just letting everyone know about it. Man, I, I almost don't want to answer because it's a little bit embarrassing. Like, remember the disconnect I told you about earlier? Yeah. I, it sounds weird. I, I'm going to, like, it, it did not match what happened. My experience, my focus, my engagement did not match what happened. And I'm going to have to fix the way I watch games. I'm, I, I am going to want to pull up the broadcast and maybe have an AirPod in so I can get a better sense of what those guys are saying and combine that with watching in person because I'm, you know, I'm not kidding. And this is, you know, shameful to admit, but our Joe Varden is still here. Joe was, was covering that game. And so I was there to watch and pick up whatever I could pick up. So I'm sitting there late third quarter. And this is the part where I'll just own it. I turn to the PR person to my right and I say, is this crazy that I'm thinking this? I go, I might, I might go back to the hotel and, and write um, instead of watching this fourth quarter <laughs> because it's. I should slap it's, you right now. I know it's. There's no energy, and then I kind of started looking up, and I'm like, oh damn, Jamal's got how many, and Donovan's got, and then it's like, all right, I got it, and so I got there, but you don't, you don't connect, and then even Jamal. Um, I give the players credit for finding out how to kind of adjust their psyches because, man, like he's screaming in our direction, you know, as if it's nothing but an entire crowd of jazz fans. Like he's mad and he's just yelling and you're almost looking over your shoulder like, bro, it's just like the 10 of us. What are you yelling at? <laughs> I mean, Giannis, <laughs> Giannis told us he started to do that. Like, so Giannis is known to talk some junk and if he throws it on somebody's head like he'll say something but like he's getting uncontested dunks now in just like screaming afterwards and he's told <laughs> us that he's like there's no energy like we have to bring it ourselves yeah. and i don't know another way to do it like i just have to i just have to let it out so that we can get some energy because it just doesn't exist in that building jalen brown the way, did the same thing he hit an a one three and just kind of walked over to no one and started screaming. Like, like it was Yo, Ru- Russell Westbrook, watch watch Russ tonight. 
Russ, I think it's part of his routine now. He still walks over to the corner uh, pregame as if he would in a normal game, which is his time to kind of go acknowledge the home fans. And he goes over <laughs> to the corner, and there's just nothing but black drapes and darkness. And he just he looks like he's making human contact with somebody, and there's nobody there. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're doing all these tricks. And, and in this same uh, topic, guys, this is kind of funny. Our esteemed editor, uh, Sergio Gonzalez, had just texted me. Uh, alerting me, that, and, and who knows, we'll never know the answer to this, but apparently the league had put out a memo reminding uh, people who are here in attendance at these games on the NBA side that uh, that there should be no crowd noise. Um, and, uh, and and I'm wondering if this is the Mike Zarin rule. <laughs> this could, it could be the Mike Zarin rule. So speaking of that, uh, our colleague here, Seth Partnow, who used to work for the Bucks, tweeted at... Sam, who you know and got to watch a game with, Alex Lazary, the Bucks senior vice president, and was like, was this a subtweet at you, Alex? Like, you're about to go down because he's about to come down to the bubble again. Uh, and they're like, is this, is this the Lazary rule? So I don't know. Lazary and Zarin are going to have to fight for this one. Oh, God. Zarin was already mad at me. This is only getting worse. <laughs> By the way, I should mention, and this is for the Boston crowd, um, Jay, the fours. Yeah, the, the legendary sports bar where the the old Celtics used to go and drink beers after every game, and I'm not a Boston guy. I don't. I want to make sure give the microphone to you on that one, but I will tell you, um, you texted me that you know that that happened today that the Fours was going out of business, and there you can't find a more iconic legendary business, you know, in a city uh, that the the relationship between a business and and a place than the Fours in Boston. Um, but it hit me a little bit because not only did I enjoy going there when I was in town, not only did I certainly go to the annual Sloan Conference kind of drinking sessions that they would have that, that Zarin would run at the Fours every single year. Uh, I had one of my, not to get all sentimental, one of my favorite nights ever with my father, late father. We were in Boston together and we sat there and and he was digging the history and he was proud of his kid who was covering basketball in, in this city that my dad had actually never been to. All, he, he was a Navy vet who traveled all over the world. And later in life, he mentioned to me that he'd never been to Boston. And I said, well, shoot, let's change that. And so he came and we chilled at the fours. And one of my favorite pictures of the two of us is you know, standing in front of the you know that bar. But that story times countless others, man. I mean, how I mean, is that surprising? Did we know this was coming? And, you know, how did that hit you? Yeah. So I knew they were in trouble. Um, obviously the pandemic made it tough on everybody, but that's a stunner anyway. Like that is just awful, awful news. That place, for those who don't know, is right across the street from TD Garden, like right there. And after games, like Celtics employees go over there, Celtics front office guys, like you can go over there and, and see everybody. And it's just like, like, it's almost a part of the Celtics. And Zarin put out a tweet today. There's been a lot of Mike Zarin t- talk on this podcast, but he put out a tweet today that someone from his family has been there basically every after every game except for, like, seven since 2001, which is 20 years. And so that uh, the tradition of going to the fours after a Celtics game for writers, for Celtics employees, for everybody, it's, it's just become... Like that's just what you do, and so that's a that was a really really tough one because they are like really 
tied together with the Celtics in a lot of ways, and it's almost like they're they're like a a limb of the Celtics in some ways. So that that yeah, was like ha- a hard news to hear. Extension. Yeah, yeah. So that I was wrote, tough. I wrote a piece for the Sacramento Bee. It might have been like my first time ever that they let me not just write the Kings and do something uh, league wide and wrote a Celtics piece. And it was when, you know, their big three got together. So it was kind of your Celtics super team. And I remember the whole lead to my story was the fours. I went into the fours, interviewed the manager, you know, soaked up the history. So tough loss. Uh, Eric, what's, what's the uh, Milwaukee version of the fours and hopefully it's still in business. You got uh, any, anything up that alley? Uh, Major Goolsby's. Uh, I believe I've heard stories of Larry Bird drinking beers there after after games. So it used to be right. Man, a lot of Boston talk. Wow, this is really working out well. Having Jay King <laughs> the, the kids house. on the show, man. Um, Come on. So so it used to. If you've been to downtown Milwaukee, you know that there was a little while where all three arenas were in the exact same stretch. So the very first arena, the Mecca, which still stands to this day, the Bradley Center, and then Pfizer Forum, their new one. Bradley Center came down, but Major Goolsby's is literally a crosswalk away from the arena. So that used to be be the hangout after games. And uh, so that's like huge Milwaukee institution. They're they closed for a while during the pandemic. They are back now. And I mean, hopefully, uh, as with any restaurant or small business in any town, like hopefully they're able to survive it. One of the uh, first, one of the pieces of advice, like when I was first starting my first full-time job with, with Mass Live, I would go around and just ask people for advice. And uh, I forget who it was, but one of the one of the best pieces of advice was from a guy. He's like, I see you working, writing until like, 2, 3 a.m. after every game. He's like, the best thing you could do is to tone it down, stop at like 12.30 and head over to the fours and and have a drink and go go hang out with some Celtics people. You'll get a lot more from having a beer with Celtics people than you will by breaking down whatever X's and O's I was doing in, in my post. And obviously you still want to spend the time on the X's and O's and get all that stuff, but but there is something to it. Like So every story you wrote at Mass Live, you were drunk? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean it read that way a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've I've been drunk my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I am gonna let you run. Uh I gotta get ready for this uh Bucks Heat affair. Uh I'm telling you these logistics are a mind bender figuring out which arena I got to be in, which shuttle gets me there. Uh, the weather is, you've heard all these stories from the first crew of media that came through, but we go into Lakers practice and the, the warm sun is on your skin. It's a nice walk. You're, you're kind of looking around, feeling pretty good about things. And it's like, by the time we get out of Lakers practice, just absolute downpour. And now <laughs> we're begging shuttle drivers to, to take us back to our hotel rooms. I had flip-flops on and, you know, thought I was going to be in the clear and then I'm slipping and sliding on those by the time I get back. So I'm finding my way. Thank you for coming on. Uh, keep doing good stuff at home, guys. I, I was obviously on the other side not long ago trying to live this Zoom life, and it's not fun. But y'all are killing it, and I appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Be good. Take care.